Good morning, Disciples Church. Guest, welcome. Good to have you here with us today. You grab your Bibles with me this morning and turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 3. Today we are in part 3 of our very special December Advent sermon series. The word Advent literally means the arrival. It is the time of year that we annually celebrate the arrival of the promised Messiah, the birth of Jesus Christ. The Advent season uh, that we're in this year, in 2019, we're focused on Scripture's application to the fact that Jesus comes as the light of the world. Today I want us to slow down and focus on what Jesus' arrival as the light of the world has meant for daily life as we know it. Because while Jesus' arrival, his life, his death, his resurrection, has meant salvation, amazing life transformation for many of us who are truly his and belong to Jesus, it has meant a heightened judgment for those who reject Jesus and remain Lord of their own lives those who remain in their sin. There's a test of which side of spiritual life or death each of us really fall. And it's measured by your response to the light of Christ. He who is the illumination of truth, righteousness, in contrast to the deception and lostness of sin. Before we jump in, pray with me. Father, we humbly come before you this morning. Our Advent theme this morning of joy, Jesus' arrival truly is the arrival of lasting joy. Lord, you have brought a joy to our souls in a way that we've never known before salvation in Christ. And Lord, we're just thankful. We're full of gratitude and praise for you for who you are. You are the rock of ages. We, we praise you. We, we long for you. We are dependent on you. Lord, for, for all those who, by your sovereign plan, have found their way here to Disciples Church this morning, who are still Lord of their own lives. They, they might have some religion, some, some church, some, some time in your word, but, but they don't belong to you. They have not yet submitted their lives to you fully and wholly. I pray that the gospel would be clear. The light of Christ would shine upon them. That, that you would illuminate their hearts. Give them eyes to see and ears to hear. Father, for your saints, that you would purify. That you would sanctify. You would grow us, mature us. Help us do real business with these days that you've entrusted to us for your glory and for your purposes. We're joyful to be yours. We're joyful to be here. We're thankful for your word. Help me to divide it rightly and wisely and boldly for the work you intend for each person in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 3, we'll begin with verse 19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. All of mankind love the darkness rather than the light 
because our works were evil. This is the consequence of the fall of the first man, Adam. We must rightly understand that God's Word teaches that every person born into the world, man and woman, is morally corrupt, spiritually dead. This doctrine is called total depravity. Because of our depravity, we stand in judgment before the Holy God. So, this is no small matter, but instead one that we need to understand rightly and fully. It is only when we have a right and full understanding of our sin and our depravity will we have a right and full appreciation of the Savior. A concise way to speak of total depravity is the state of being spiritually dead. While alive and living and going about your ways, it is one who is spiritually dead. It's not just that some parts of us are sinful and others are pure. Rather, every part of our being is affected by sin. Our intellects, our emotions, our desires, our hearts, the center of our desires, our decision-making processes, our goals, our motives, and even our physical bodies. Scripture speaks to this all the time. Uh, a few uh, scriptures to sample this truth. Titus 1.15, To the corrupt and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Their very minds and consciences are corrupted. Jeremiah 17.9, Jeremiah tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately corrupt. Who can understand it? We need to see our depravity rightly. Because the world would say, follow your heart. I want my kids just to follow their heart. Scripture says, the heart is deceitful above all things. Desperately corrupt, who can understand it? Genesis 6-5, The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in all the earth, and every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. This is not a minor diagnosis. This is global. Hear me clearly. Scripture is not denying that unbelievers, those apart from Christ, when in this state of total depravity, it's not denying that they can do good in human society in some sense. It is denying that they can do any spiritual good. Any good in terms of a right relationship with God. So John is saying, even though God the Son humbled Himself, Jesus put on flesh, has done the most amazing thing to come into the world, those still dead in their sin love the darkness of sin instead of loving and obeying the light that is Christ. John continues in verse 20. Look with me. John 3.20 For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. Notice that the unregenerate person doesn't just love the darkness rather than the light. No, they hate the light. 
Because their love and devotion is for sin and self. They hate the light because it exposes their sinful and selfish agendas and practices. Think about it. The arrival of Jesus that first Christmas day was not all positive and warm welcome. See, we assume because God chose to reveal the good news of the Messiah's birth to some shepherds who celebrated the arrival of Jesus, we assume that all the world was celebrating. But they weren't. Consider the reality that the reigning authority in that region, King Herod, has every male child in that region murdered in his effort to eliminate the promised Messiah and the threat of him ruling. The, the, the arrival of the light was, was a gross threat on a world lost in darkness. A, a few extreme ways we can understand this. I've used this before. So some of you have been with us. Might have heard me say this before. A few extreme examples by which we can get this hatred for the light is through cockroaches and drug addicts. Why do cockroaches only come out at night? Because they don't want to be exposed. Because they know they're not friendly to you. That they're not your favorite. (laughs) What happens when their activities are exposed and the light is turned on? They scurry to hide in the shadows. To go back into the dark. As people, we've become like this too. Many times, when giving way to our sin, when giving way to selfishness, we prefer the dark. Why? Because the darkness is where we think our sin or our cheating or our immoral practices are hidden. Think about drug addicts who who are binging for days. They will make the room they're in really, really dark. Why? Because the light literally hurts. Think about it this way. Where do you hide things you don't want others to find or see? In the darkness. In a drawer. Deep in a file. Buried in an app. In some weirdly named file. In the closet. Maybe buried even in the ground. Consider your own practice or history. To what extent did you work to hide sin that you didn't want others to know about. Maybe this is a distant history. Maybe this is a very recent history. Whether it was your parents you didn't want to know, a boss, governing agency, 
a relationship, a spouse, girlfriend, boyfriend, a friend. While in junior high, I remember a very significant example of this in my life by which I had possession of something I should not have had. My sin was compromising myself, my way. And I was so scared of being caught with it that I wouldn't even hide it in the house. I hid it under the rocks on the railroad that ran next to our neighborhood. The extent to which we will hide something often reveals to us the sickness, the lie, the death it contains. Let me ask you, what have you been hiding in the darkness lately? To what degree have you been caught up in serving your sin in your own justifications? You're hiding it out of sight. To what degree is that lie, is that deception killing you, defrauding your very life, your very relationships? How I pray, church, we do real business with the sin in your life that you're justifying, that you're making excuses for, that's in the darkness. How desperate we are for a Savior, church, when we're consumed with darkness. I pray that you see that while many of the things we are involved in that are sinful can look very normal to others, sometimes that's our excuse. That this is a very normal thing as I look around in society. To the lost society we live in, it looks normal, but see, that is not the aim of life, it is not righteousness. It is not what honors God. It is only to serve self and satisfy the longings of our flesh. We need to see the depravity of our sin, the darkness of our sin. We need to repent and turn to the light. Look at verse 21, John speaks of what it looks like when we repent from our sin and trust our lives to Jesus, who is the light, and what our lives produce when we walk in the light of Christ, when we do what honors Him. John 3, 21, But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Life in God is the opposite of life in the darkness. Because God is the light. When our dead heart is illuminated with the gospel light of Christ, we want the things of God instead of the things of our flesh. No matter what it costs us. We want to glorify. We want to serve Him. Why do we do this? Because Christ lives in us and because now we live for Him. This is why religion, apart from Christ, is just another added weight. You'll never fulfill holiness. You'll never get there. You'll never do what is good before the eyes of the Lord. Our works can't. No, we need the light, the light of the world. We need Jesus to rule and reign as Lord of our lives. 
Only Jesus can do a work in us and transform us from the inside out. Only Jesus gives us a new identity that means we're no longer defined by what we've produced. Sin and selfishness leading to death. No, we are now defined by what Christ has produced in our place. Righteousness and God-honoring living heart for the Lord. This is why the unsaved person wouldn't dare stand on the stage and share with others their past sins or addictions or their ongoing wicked acts. Why? Because the goal is to keep those things hidden in the dark. But when one is set free in the light of Christ, when one has trusted their life to Jesus, they're willing to share their story, their past sin struggles, their addictions, their wicked acts. Why? Because it doesn't define them anymore. Because it is not the Lord of their lives anymore. Jesus is. Their identity and their joy is in God. It's no longer in their selves. This is one of the things I love about what God is doing in our church. So many of you have seen such radical new birth in Christ. Even some of you who have belonged to the church for a long time. The way the Word is moving in you. The way that fellowship and discipleship is happening in your life. There is a true maturing and and a growing of your faith. You want to share what God has done. You want to serve Him with your days. You're truly turning from sin, and God is revealing to you life. Life in Christ. Do we do this for ourselves? No, we do it to honor God. So that others can see the work that God has done in our lives. It's not a look at me thing. It's a look at what God is doing thing. Praise be to God. This is John's point in John 3.21. Whoever does what is true comes into the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. What does the person who stands in the light of Christ want to show off? The grace and the power of God. Church, understand, we do not do what is true if not first reborn and converted to the light of Christ. Notice the contrast of our works are evil in verse 19 and works that have been carried out in God in verse 21. God's Word is clear to tell us the best work we can do on our own apart from Christ. Our very best. The best we produce on our own apart from Christ is as good as filthy rags. In other words, it's not very holy. It's not very good. It doesn't meet the standard of the holy God. Our best efforts in our sin earn us wrath, earn us death. But God's work in perfect righteousness, Jesus' work on our behalf, earns us eternal life with God. His work is what we need, church. Don't don't miss this. If you are here today and you are trying to get to God based on your work, you can't. The person who is not submitted to Christ as Lord but is trying to do good with their life 
on their own must see they still live in the darkness. At the end of your life, all that you did to try to be good will not matter. It will not be good enough. Instead, it will consume you. And you will sit in judgment for eternity in the darkness. We're desperate for the light of the world. For Jesus, only Jesus can save us from the darkness. See the beauty of the gospel this morning. See what God has done to come into the world that first Christmas. To then For Jesus to live without sin. To die in the place of undeserving sinners. It is my deepest prayer for you today. That you confess your sin to God. Not part of it. All of it. That you turn from it to trust your life to Jesus. Not your own work. Not your own agenda. Come out of the dark and into the light of Christ. I worry that for some of you, while you might admit there's some truth to these things that I'm saying, there's no urgency within you. Young people. Visitors. Maybe some of you have been here for quite a while. You've found a routine, but there's no urgency. You're not asking enough questions. You're not doing business with these things that matter most in your life. This thing we're talking about this morning is so much bigger to you than anything you'll open under the tree this year. Exponentially. Oh, I pray you lean in and listen. If you think you'll get serious about truly trusting Jesus, about honoring God with your life later, Maybe next year. Maybe 2020 would be a good year for that. In the meantime, just a little more sin. Just a little more of what I want. Just a little longer to do it your way. Understand, the sin you've done is enough. More than enough. Understand, you are not promised tomorrow. God has given you today. Turn from your sin and darkness and step into the light of Christ who is life. Jesus highlights how urgent this is later in John's Gospel, chapter 12, 35 through 36. Jesus says to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where they are going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. This is the gospel. Jesus gives them the gospel. Believe while you can. The time is short. The light is among you just for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. Your darkness problem will be your eternal demise, he's saying. Hear me most clearly this morning. Nothing about this is small, is no big deal. It is the most important thing in all of your temporary life that you must do business with. 
darkness and sin or death. Darkness is separation from life. It is utter lostness. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. We are lost in our bondage of sin. We're like an addict who's addicted so much so that we can't even tolerate the light. Maybe for some of you, that's the step you must take to at least admit you're growing in tolerance, you're growing hatred for the things of God. It's just a truer and bolder statement about the reality of the deadness of your heart and your desperate need for a Savior. Only Jesus can save you from your sin. Only Jesus gives us the power to push back the darkness and to live in the light. You need Jesus. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. John 8, verse 12. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he's saying, I am true hope, true direction. In a dark room, the chair cannot show you the light, but the light can show you the chair. We need the light. Everything else you're chasing, everything else you're trying to depend on for your joy, your purpose, your happiness, will not light up your life. Jesus says in John 12, 36, While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of the light. Believe into Him. Repent and believe and be saved. Trust your life to Jesus. That you may be saved from your bondage of sinful slavery to the darkness and transferred into the kingdom of the light to become sons of the light. This is the good news of Christmas. The light of Christ that He saves us from the darkness. He has come. I want to plead with you. You who have been a part of the church for a long time but have still not done real and lasting business with these things. Hear me, only those who belong to, who are devoted to Jesus, are rescued. Listen to Paul's words, Colossians 1, 13-14. He, God, has delivered us, He's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom, in Jesus, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Praise God that Jesus took our deepest darkness and forgave us all our sins. Only Jesus, only in Jesus can we turn to life from death. Only Jesus can turn the light on in your heart. Only Jesus can transform you from rotten decay of sin and sanctify you and make you new. Believe that the cross of Christ At the cross of Christ, your judgment is over and you've passed from death to life. Believe that Satan has no claim on you, but is cast out of the courtroom. Believe that Christ purchased you and secured you with His blood. Stop trying to navigate the darkness by your own power. Run to Him who is the light. Let Him illuminate you to lasting life by His mighty power. Pray it be so. 
Now for you who are saved, who belong to Jesus, who live to make much of His name, one of the key things I want us to see and really do business with this morning is to ask, how are you doing at remaining in the light? It is imperative that we abide in Christ so that we do not slip back into the longings of the flesh, the ways of the old self. The things that are sin, those things that have plagued us from a life past and maybe you've found way to grab hold of them again. Maybe you're guilty of kind of hiding them again in the darkness. How are you doing when you see those things that dragging them into the light? We do that. We drag in the light because we want to glorify God because we belong to Him. Because we don't want to live a life of deception, of hypocrisy. It is our testimony, church, that we live for Christ and not our flesh. That we live in the light and not in the darkness. So I want us to consider a few ways, important ways, we grow and remain in the light this morning. Two very big global things. Number one, and as we do, I want to ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 10. Gospel of Matthew chapter 10. Number one, we must redefine and or refine our relationships. One of the critical ways Scripture speaks of remaining in the light of Christ is in regards to our closest relationships. The Bible is clear that when we are saved from our enslavement to sin, we belong to Jesus And, and therefore, it redefines our closest relationships. This reprioritization of our relationships is actually a part of what Jesus came to do. Look with me, Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have come not to bring peace, but a sword. The light of the world is not a peace for all the earth. It is a peace for the saved, for the sanctified, for the redeemed, for the chosen people of God. We will not know peace on earth until we're in the new earth, until sin is done. What that means is the war, the, the reality of light versus darkness carries on. And the arrival of Jesus actually heightens and intensifies that, that war, who you side with. So much so that those who are saved to the light, even among their very loved ones, creates even real division and war even within our closest relationships. A sword cuts. That's its purpose. It's, it divides. It's a symbol of war. Jesus came to, initi to initiate the exclusivity of the gospel. Jesus came to claim for himself a people who would believe in him and worship him. Who would stand apart from those who deny him. Those who are in the light would stand apart from those who remain in the darkness. The coming of Jesus, hear me, is not a cute scene of baby clothes and balloons. 
we are guilty of making it a cute thing. It is a declaration of war on sin and death on behalf of His people. Jesus' arrival means the initiation of war between those who have laid down their lives at Jesus' feet and those who still stand for their own glory and way. Jesus came to defeat the enemy on the cross and win the war against sin and death for His people, but also to ensure a defining of separation that would happen between His followers and those who would remain opposed to Him. Those who deny Him. This is what Jesus said two verses prior to the one I just read. Look at verse 32 and 33. Everyone who acknowledges Me before men, I will acknowledge before My Father who is in heaven. But everyone who denies Me before men, I will deny before My Father who is in heaven. Church, understand, Jesus came to draw a line of clear distinction, saying, you are with me or you are against me. There is no in-between. What does it mean to be with Jesus? It means we are for Him more than anything or anyone else. Even when our own blood family stands against Him. Consider how serious Jesus is defining the reality of this redefining of our family and the war that exists between those who are with Christ and those who are not, those who are devoted to Him, those who are not. In this very passage, look with me, Matthew 10, 35-38. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. If you don't like what I just said, I want to remind you that that's Jesus' words. To make his point clear, Jesus goes to the people group that mean the most to us in this life, our families. Division and war is not so bad when you're at odds with your neighbor, your boss, your friend, your society. But when it's with the family, it is truly game-changing reality of the highest proportion. He is saying... Your commitment to me, Jesus Christ, as Lord and Savior, means that you will be at odds with your relatives who are not saved, who are not surrendered to me. Why? For those who truly are surrendered to Christ in every way, you've been adopted into the eternal family of God, and this has interrupted your place in your temporary blood family. And if you don't get how that's so, then maybe you don't understand your adoption. For those who are truly surrendered to Christ in every way, your commitment to Christ has now claimed your highest affection, an affection and a love and a devotion that is over the love and devotion you have 
for anyone else. You must see that your non-saved loved one's allegiance is to a different authority. A sinful authority of lifting high their name, of living for their self-serving agenda. It is a devotion to man over God. Now hear me clearly. I am not saying, let me say it again, I am not saying you need to go make war with those who are lost or unbelieving. But it does mean that if challenged to align with the ways of darkness, with the ways of the world, with the traditions and priorities of man, you will reject the darkness and live in the light no matter what it costs you. It means you are with Jesus every time. Not most of the time. Every time. That is your greatest joy to belong to Jesus. No matter what it costs. No matter the tears that flow. He is greater. Even if they walk away. Even if they reject you. Even if they spit in your face. You do not compromise the truth. When they try to woo you into the darkness, you stay in the light. You keep testifying. You keep loving and serving. You keep calling them to repent and believe. Because that is what's loving, most loving. This is where true devotion to Christ is potentially most tested. If it comes between Jesus and your spouse, Jesus and your kids, Jesus and your parents, whom do you choose? The sobering reality, some will not take a stand for Christ because they want to maintain family harmony. Some will claim Jesus on the throne of their life, but when it comes to appeasing people closest to you, you will choose them over Jesus. You will show who truly is most important to you. Let me just pause and ask you, do you see a problem with this? Do you see where your true devotion might lie, where your deeper affection really is? This is why Paul also says that our closest relationships must be equally yoked. 2 Corinthians 6.14 Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, what fellowship has light with darkness. Sometimes Christians will get caught up in the idea of to win the unsaved, We need to be just like them or they won't accept us. Or we need to be yoked with them so intimately that they'll finally see Jesus. We can win them to Jesus. But this is a lie. It's not biblical. Why? Because we don't save anybody with our actions. God saves people. We are to testify the gospel. We are to, to be a light of the gospel. But we don't Work to save people. Salvation belongs to the Lord. God is the one who opens dead hearts to believe. Not our partnership with them. Our God-given directive is to love our enemy. This is true. And to testify the gospel to them in truth and love. Scripture says we're to do this even if we get beat up for it. Even if we get thrown out, cast away. 
Recognizing many will lose mothers and fathers and sons and daughters over the reality of this divide. And Scripture is clear to promise there will be a hundredfold in the eternal family of God. And, and it has been heartbreaking to hear some people say, if that's really how God's going to do this, then I don't want that God. And in that statement, do you see that that person reveals who truly is God in their life? Their family, not the Lord. Do you see the damning reality of that statement? Light and darkness will not blend. You are one or the other. May we stand fast for the truth and the word and not fear the rejection it might bring. To be most clear before moving on, our most intimate relationship should be with those who are in Christ. So that their influence on us is to press us into Christ and not to look to satisfy the flesh. Those are the ones we're yoked with. This doesn't mean you don't have friendships with lost people. It doesn't mean we stop living and testifying among those who are dead in their sin. No, that's the very purpose for our days. We'll get to that in a major way next week. We're absolutely called to do this. But our most intimate relationships should be with, should be with those who are devoted to Jesus, which means changes to our relationships that we've had for a long time with those who remain in the dark. The reprioritization of your most intimate and close relationships is a biblical priority. This is such a huge part of how we remain in the light instead of working or slipping back into the darkness. And here's the good news. It's happening. I see it happening all around in many of you in your closest friendships. Changes in even family commitments. Not participating in unequally yoked dating relationships. You are clinging to the truths of Jesus to walk in that, to to surround yourself with the, with the body of Christ in such a way where that is your eternal family. You abandon those that God's put in your path. No, we love, we serve, we, we testify to them, but your closest relationships are to be with those in Christ. One of the easiest ways to test this as you think about those people is simply this. Is that person that I'm running close with Pressing me into Christ actively, truly, or into the ways of the world. The second thing is we must confess and confront our sin. We must refine and reprioritize our relationships. We must also confess and confront our sin to abide in Christ, to remain and be sanctified in the light. Confession is when you see sin rightly. You agree with God that it is sin. That's what confession is. I'm not lying about this. I'm not making excuses for it anymore. Confession is agreeing with God that sin is sin. You're confessing that. You will not confess sin that you do not really count as sin before a holy God. Confession is calling out the sin for what it is. It is seeing the depth and the betrayal of that sin in light of the beauty and the majesty and the holiness of God. Confession is making war with your sin by bringing it into the light. 
Look with me at what John says later in his first letter. 1 John chapter 1, 5-10. through 10. This is the message we have heard from him in proclaiming to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Sin wants to stay in the shadows so it can continue to work itself out in our lives to satisfy our flesh. It doesn't want to be exposed. So declaring it as sin before God is a critical step in exposing it. One of the most helpful ways we do this, church, is to confess our sins to one another. James chapter 5, 16, Therefore confess your sins to one another. God didn't save us to fight our daily temptations and sin alone, but to fight them within gospel community, with plurality, brothers and sisters in Christ that love us and will fight with us for the glory of God. How terrible it is when Christians keep their sins private or try to fight their sin in private. When we decide to fight alone, we put off the loving commands of Scripture to practice the one another's and truly live in gospel community. You won't fight your sin by yourself. You will eventually make excuses and will begin to justify it. And I don't have to convince you of that. Right? You know, you've been there. You've seen how that's worked when you've kept it private. The opposite is true. How wonderful it is when Christians confess their sins to one another in the body that God has given them. The fruit and the healing that comes when we confess our sins to each other and pray for each other and walk together is so amazing, so God glorifying. We need to do this. Right when we first get caught up, right when the temptation is coming, sound the alarm, bring others near. Have them pick up their spears with you to fight. Don't invite them in the door. Don't let it make its bed in your, in your heart, in your mind. When the temptation is lurking, when the sin is brand new, in the early stages, expose it. Invite people near to help cut its head off. Because if you let it fester and really suck you in, it's going to reap its consequences ten times. Now, will we all have the temptation to sin? Yes. We're still in the flesh until we're in glory. Will we all have moments of slipping into sin? Yes. But what we do at that point is critical. We must drag it into the light. We must say to each other and to the Lord, the temptation is strong. The lure is taking heed. Help me fight. Help me be reoriented to the gospel. One of the great evidences of our truly belonging to Christ, we who are truly in the light, as we practice confession of sin, we drag sin into the light to expose it. The temptation in our flesh is to do what? It's to put on a mask. 
is to throw a lid over it, is to think it will just go away. Why do we do this? Why do we put on masks instead of confessing? Because of other sin, idolatry, fear of man, deep motivation to be loved by others more than who we are in the Lord, to be accepted, fear of losing what we think we have. It's all the old stuff. It's all, it's all of our identity back in our performance. It's not our identity in Christ. These things reveal an immaturity in us that is not grounded in a joyful, fulfilled identity in Christ. When we're motivated to hide sin instead of expose it, we'll feel we have something to prove. We'll get caught up again in performing. Instead of the gospel, which says you're accepted based on what Christ has done, not on your performance. Live that gospel reality out. That's what... Pastor Rob was speaking of earlier in his prayer community that we, we would that, that true confession would lead to real authentic gospel repentance. Know that you're in God's grip. Rest on Jesus' righteousness, not your own. Listen again, 1 John 1, 5-7. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light. In Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. We're possessors of real fellowship with one another when we walk in the light. Who is the light? Jesus. We must walk in the newness of life that Jesus died to give us. To live out the the new and be done with the old. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is new birth. It's not just a makeover on the outside. And so we need to put down the mask. And walk in the light. I love, I love, I love it when many of you, no matter how old you are, no matter how long you've been in the church, are willing to humbly say, I am young in some of these areas in my faith. I want to grow. I want to be taught. I want to be held accountable. It's our pride that says, no, no, I'm not going to expose that. I've got some real work to do here. Oh, how we need to be done wearing the mask and we need to walk in the light. Church, will we drag it into the light and know that it's been paid for the cross of Calvary and really turn from it unto a life that honors the Lord. Now watch this. For those who are saved by Jesus, who are possessors of the light, why doesn't God just remove us from the darkness altogether? How often do you find yourself asking that question? And the answer is our focus next week. That God has called us to be the lampstand for the light of Christ so that those of His elect who are yet to be saved would be. He's called us to be a city on a hill to shine the light of Christ into the darkness for that very family and those friends and those people He puts in your path that are still dead in sin 
that we would continue to testify, continue to, to point them to the light of Christ. Matthew 5, 14 and 16, You are the light of the world. The city on a hill cannot be hidden. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. God's glory is why we're still here fighting in the darkness, church. Shining the light of Christ. God will be glorified. The victory belongs to Jesus and to us who are his blood-bought people. Amen? Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us to to delve into your holy word, to, to study these mighty truths, to be, to be reminded that, that, that Christmas is not a cute and cuddly thing. It's war. It's, it's the most massive infiltration that you came to bring light, to bring judgment, to bring salvation. Oh God, we are thankful for Jesus, for his life, his death, his resurrection, new life in Christ for which we do not deserve. Oh, we, I just plead with you, Lord, to come and move in the lives of those who are still dead in sin. Many of our children who were pleading for their lives, Lord, that you would give them eyes to see and ears to hear. Friends, family. And, and give us that perseverance to, to expose the sin that we've let find its way to fester in the dark corners of our lives, to drag it in the light, to be honestly who we are in Jesus, to do business with that today, that we wouldn't just be hearers of this sermon only, but doers. That we would not just confess in our prayer to you, agree that it's sin, but we'd do something about it. We would repent. We'd turn from it. We'd expose it. We'd bring accountability near. We would see victory in the power of Jesus in these areas for your glory, for others' good. And as we continue, we, we long for the second coming of Christ. As Scripture is closed, come, Lord Jesus, come. We continue to, to cry out, come, Lord Jesus, come. Hear us worship you now. In Jesus' name we pray.